Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm your host, Samantha Didion, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. This week, we are picking up where we left off with Captain Jason Friedman sharing the story about his deployment to Israel just one week after the October 8th attacks. If you haven't already, listen to last week's episode to hear part one. You know, Jason, you're on this flight. About 12 hours, I think you said, and you're landing just outside Tel Aviv. You're, I mean, your mind's racing with what is going on. What's going on since you've been on the plane? I imagine you you land and convene with a number of other volunteers in the program. You interface with the Israeli fire teams and, and you go to work. Could you walk us through that transition was it what you imagined? I, I got, I mean, you're getting all the senses when you're there and I'm not asking you to describe it in detail, but walk our audience through, you know, the assignment and what you did. Uh, you were trained in helping them fight fires. Were you in, in firefighting? It sounds like maybe some rescue type work. If you're comfortable, please, please share a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So when we arrived in, in Tel Aviv, it took us a little while to get out of customs. A couple of the guys from LA city, they lost their baggage or the baggage was taken off the plane because of extra weight on the plane. So they removed a couple of their bags. So a couple of the guys were stuck for like 24, 48 hours without any, any clothes, but they made do. They, they were given a whole bunch of, of uniforms in, in the meantime. So it took us a while to get out of uh, Ben-Gurion and it was um, late afternoon, early evening when we arrived. So our first stop was at the uh, the fire training facility, which is their national fire training facility, which is also their fire headquarters. So we had gone there. They kind of gave us a little bit of an overview of, especially first and foremost, where the shelters were, you know, in the event that a missile attack was to occur or any missile alarms that had gone off, where the shelters were, how much time you had to get to the shelters. And almost as a... Uh, a welcome to Israel, the uh, the first missile alert goes off. So, you know, immediately we're, we're running into a shelter. We have a minute and 15 seconds in that area. Uh, as you get closer to Gaza, the time dwindles down to, I think, around 30 seconds that you have in order to get to a shelter. If you're not in a shelter, then you try to find as open as much of an open space as possible. You hit the ground, put your hands over your head, and maybe do a little prayer. But you, you got quickly adjusted to it. it. It didn't take long, obviously. Like I said, we we're there in less than an hour and we were already in the shelter. Thereafter, I was walking around. We stayed the night and we just uh, I happened to be walking around with one of the other guys just touring the area, the the campus itself, just seeing, you know, what they have to offer. We had dinner and then we found ourselves in the command center of the fire headquarters. Uh, inadvertently. And, you know, we have to, you know, I'm thinking to myself, this is like restricted area. Like, probably no one has like weapons drawn on us because, you know, they're probably looking at us going, who are these two? But they welcomed us in. They, they you know, they knew who we were. They welcomed us, you know, the two of us in. We spent the next, I think, like two and a half hours down the command center talking to these commanders, head honchos of the fire service, bringing us coffee, bringing us cake, and just telling stories, just talking about, you know, the fire service, talking about the incident. During that time, another missile attack goes off. And I jokingly said to one of uh, the other guy that was with me, 
I said, wow, I said, I probably shouldn't tell my wife, you know, about the missile attacks. And he's like, yeah, he goes, don't mention it. And our wives happen to be on a separate group chat. And they all started this uh, when we left. About like a minute or two later, I get a text from my wife. And of course, this is, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock our time. So it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. My wife texts, oh, that was a close one. And I texted her back. I'm like, what do you, you know, what do you mean? She goes, the missile that was really close to your location. Well, unbeknownst to me, she went and downloaded the app that we all had that would alert you to the missiles, depending on where your location was. So I'm sitting there going, well, how did she know exactly where I was? Because I didn't tell her specifics as far as, you know, so I hadn't talked to her since I landed. Well, she put an air tag in my luggage. And so she, she, she was like tracking me. So it was like, oh my God, this is like some like, you know, like spy stuff. I'm like, you know, my wife is like totally, you know, got all eyes on me. So she knows where I am at all times. So I thought it, you know, it was comical, but, you know, I also put myself in, in her shoes that, you know, she really wanted to have a good idea if God forbid something was to happen, where exactly I was, um, you know, whether, you know, for a missile attack or God forbid I was taken hostage, whatever it be, it just, she wanted to have all eyes on me. And, uh, and, and I thank her for that. That was, that was kind of cool. A little annoying at times when, you know, she would tell me, oh, that was a close one. That was, oh, there was a couple more that, that just came. Um, but the next day we ended up getting deployed to our stations. So I was sent with two others to, uh, to Jerusalem and Jerusalem is divided up into an east and west section. So there's two main firehouses, one in, on the east, one in the west. Each of them had two substations. So I was in the, um, the main station on the east, which is in a predominantly ultra-Orthodox or Hasidic area. There's three engines that are assigned to that firehouse. The staffing is typically per shift, somewhere around 10, sometimes 12 where you have two commanding officers and usually minimum two on each engine. Sometimes when there's enough staffing, they put three on the engine. So each of us had taken an engine. So we were either the third or sometimes we were fortunate to have, you know, be the fourth on the engine. So that was Friday. So Saturday we arrived at the station and basically got acclimated to the station, to the apparatus. Um, you know, we went through our own little checkouts just to see, you know, how they're equipped. And we had a pretty good understanding because they did teach us a little bit something that earlier that morning. And the commanding officer said, you know, listen, you know, is, you know when do you want to start? And so like it was agreed upon the three of us that, you know what, let's just kind of decompress a little bit, kind of soak in everything. And we'll start in the morning on the shift change. And we did that and we ended up working the next straight 10 days, 24 hours straight. Didn't take a break other than two days. One of the commanders had taken us out for a couple hours just to get out of the station and did a little you know, sightseeing or took us to the old city, took us to some important areas. We saw Netanyahu's um, compound or his residence, President Herzog, his residence, uh, the Knesset. Old city, you know, just some you know, really cool areas just to kind of get a view of, of Jerusalem and the surrounding area. But for 10 days straight, we went to work. It was all fire related. Their EMS and fire is separate, unlike here in Fort Lauderdale, where it's dual. We have dual response and operations and, and EMS together. 
there it's completely separate. So there we're running strictly fire related calls, which was nice. As much as I do love EMS, I'm not one of those that poo-poo on EMS. I actually, you know, I started off as a medic, so I really do hold EMS dear to me. But it was kind of cool just to run fire calls. The station is typically a very busy station. It averages anywhere between 15 and 20 calls a day. It was down to maybe five or six calls a day. So we weren't running as much. Uh, so there was a, a good amount of downtime, but we used it to our advantage as far as making sure we we're getting enough rest. We did some training with the shift personnel, sat, talked about all these different stories and whether they're the way that we operate in the United States as far as tactics or even just personal stories and especially listening to each of their stories. And all of them had a story. All of them had some sort of personal connection to the current status of the war. They all come from military backgrounds because everybody has to go through the military for at least, you know, three years. And a lot of these, uh, you know, I say kids because they're like 20, 30 years younger than me, all had ties to the military somehow. So a lot of the people that I spoke to had lost friends that were military, whether it was, you know, active military or they're part of security forces for the kibbutz or were actually, you know, part of the uh, the concert there had gone to the concert. Some of them were killed, some of them hurt, and some were actually, you know, were taken. So you heard these in-depth stories and uh, it just, you know, amazing to, to hear these stories from, uh, from these people because they're very strong-willed and very well-composed. These people have gone through actual situations that are extremely personal and yet can convey a message without showing emotion. And, and some might think that, that that's cold, that might be callous, or they're, they're accustomed to it. They're just, they're very strong people. And I remember asking one of them after I gave him a hug, after telling me that two of his, his good friends were killed. One was a, an Israeli Navy SEAL who was extremely close with him. You know, I gave him a hug and I'm like, I, I can't believe how well composed you are, how strong you are. And I remember him saying to me, he's like, he, he goes, what else are we going to be? He's like, there, there's, there's not a choice. It's either you cower or you, or you, uh, or you fight and you stand up. Internally, they're extremely sweet, compassionate, loving people. You know, just <laughs> it's like I kept saying over there and even here and telling everybody, it's the same clowns, just different circus. It's the exact same thing as far as the fire service and the way we treat each other and the fire service and and the love and compassion and that that the way the brotherhood and sisterhood really should be, that was exemplified when I was over in Israel. Yeah, I got one more, Jason. Are you concerned whatsoever about the IDF recruiting your wife for surveillance or uh, reconnaissance? My gosh, I mean, she was all over it. I love it. <laughs> they, I don't think they'd handle her. <laughs> I really, I really don't. Um, I, you know, listen. If I can give a plug to my wife, I'm going to do it. My wife is a, is an amazing person, and again, I'm not saying this because I feel like um, pressured in order that I have to. My wife isn't Jewish; she's she's Catholic, and our ch our four children have been baptized and are raised Catholic. Like I said before, I have a very strong spiritual uh, foundation or belief, and and she does too. And when I was away, the first Shabbat that occurred, she went and lit a Shabbos candle 
um, which we've never done in my house. But for the mere fact that of what was going on as a, as a tribute to, you know, the the war as a tribute to me and also a tribute to my family and the support that they have for me, she wanted to do her part. A couple of questions. One's just sort of a practical question and then one probably an emotional one. Practical is are things I mean, I got to imagine when you were talking about folks with paramedic or EMS experience going to Israel to practice, I mean, are you using medications or things that are that are native to their area? I mean, that's going to be written in Hebrew or even road signs or pump calculations. Yeah, it's funny that you said that. They, they taught us how to use their uh, their pumps. It actually, their fire tactics are very, I shouldn't say simplified, but they are to, from my perspective, they are simplified, and that's because of the amount of personnel that they have on their engines. You know, when you're running with two people on the engine, uh, you have to kind of simplify things because if you didn't, it would take an exorbitant amount of personnel to, to run an operation. So their pumping operations, I learned in a matter of like a half hour. It was very simple. Even though things were, you know, metric, things were in bars, which I have no knowledge of as far as conversion and so forth but i saw them dial it up to a certain area and it's like you know like reality is in the fire service you need more pressure you need to decrease it you know that's that's pretty you know that's how you communicate and, and, and for the audience who, who, who couldn't see you it was a thumbs up for increased pressure thumbs down for decrease that's a, that's universal regardless of language got it Right, right. Yeah, exactly. There's signs, you know, a lot of the road signs are in Hebrew, but there are some that are in English as well. Uh, the majority of people know some English, some were very fluent in it, some had minimal, but you know what, we were able to communicate regardless. Like I said, the same clowns, different circus, but the medical side of it, I'm not really sure as far as like dosages and stuff. But yet, I do know from talking to a couple of people that the medications for the most part are very similar. However, the majority of incidents that you would be running medical-wise are going to be traumatic. So uh, I can only imagine that the majority of the medications are going to be pain management. Obviously, it could be anything, but I think that the, the majority of the medications that they use are pretty in line with what's found in the, uh, in the U.S. and in, in other parts of Europe. I appreciate you explaining that. You shared some real emotional connection throughout this experience, which certainly is not, not lost on us. It's certainly not lost on the audience, the emotional calling to, to be part of this, particularly this event on the heels of the training you had done prior to support uh, Israel, you know, pre, it was 2017, 2018, the medical event, et cetera. You know, for those of us that got into the fire service, uh, were you, were you married before you became a firefighter or you were a firefighter and then you met your wife? I started out my career as a volunteer fireman in New York, then got involved in EMS, spent 10 years in New York City EMS before coming down to Florida. I actually met my wife right before I got hired with Fort Lauderdale. Our first date was actually the same week that I, I started with Fort Lauderdale. So I know the anniversary of our first date because it's <laughs> when I started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's smart. That's smart. You got that locked in on it. Exactly. You know, and I asked that, you know, I pose it that way because... You know, we all kind of get a sense of what is expected of us in this profession and what what we want to be part of serving our community. After all, that's what we've trained for. And when these big emergencies happen, 
you know, there's a sense of duty to be part of that. And that's something we get in the fire service, but our family doesn't always necessarily co-sign onto what that experience is going to be like. And, and sometimes we lose sight of that. I think as responders to, to your point of, I said yes, and then realized I, I forgot to engage the family in this part of the discussion. And uh, we all would probably would have done that exact same thing because that we don't have time to think about responding when the emergency comes we 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 go and and then we realize the things we probably could have given thought to that's just how we're we're wired and uh but you reckon you you recognize that and you and your family was a was in your heart in your mind in this communication that you shared with us to bring some brevity to the to the situation that you were in you are mobile demobilizing and you're going back home and you reconnect like with your family. And now I'm thinking about putting myself in that, that situation to the extent I can, because not very few of us will answer a calling 12 hours away and in a different country during a wartime to do what you have done. I mean, your, your, your courage is, is to be commended as, as chief Buchanan said earlier, I'm now thinking about this 12 hours back and you're going to, you know, re-engage with your family and your kids and go through the experience. And you already shared with us, very openly, like you're where your wife's feeling a sense of duty as well. Like I, I, I want to be part of this experience with you. Cause it's, it's not just it, because, because everything you went through and what you've shared with us today, what did you mean? What did you need, particularly your youngest child to hear when you, when you got home, like what was this lesson of being a good human of you know, being part of this life and choked up as I'm asking you this question, you know, it's, um, how do I explain this? There's two different ways of, of looking at it. One is the, the protecting, the normal protective mode that we go into when we go home from work. Try not to bring our work into our home life. And, and this could be a whole other podcast, which obviously we don't have time to do. But I have gone through trials and tribulations over the past 25 years of dealing with mental health issues, including PTSD, not just from 9-11, but other incidents. And it nearly cost me my, not only my life, but it also nearly cost me my, my marriage and my relationship with my children. And I could talk about this as a matter of fact, because I had gone through treatment at a facility and that place saved my life. So now I think about things completely different than I had in the, in the years past. So now being in, in that kind of protective mode for my family Coming home was more about just being normal, just you know having a, a normal conversation. I think night was the we have season tickets to the uh, Florida Panthers. Uh, sorry, we beat the Seattle Kraken for those of you Kraken fans out there. But it was the first home game that I was going to. I missed the first two openers, and just being with my family for the for the game was was all I needed, just to be with them didn't have to have the conversation about what it was like. You know, I told them some things as far as what I did, more the, the types of calls or the, the equipment or the, some of the sites that I saw as far as like, you know, the old city and where Christ was resurrected and so forth to have that, you know, a little bit of a, an interest in, in some of the things that I saw. I stayed clear of the stories that were told to me, I, I stayed clear of the missile attacks. I stayed clear of the disaster areas that I was exposed to down in Starod and Ashdod. 
because it, it wasn't it didn't need to be spoken about. I was here. I was home. Obviously, nothing bad happened to me. So why relive something or talk about something that ended up not being in focus more on, you know, just I'm home. Everything's good. And, you know, I want to enjoy my my time with my kids. <laughs> Again, you guys are getting me choked up here because that's that's you're really at the end of the day. It's what's important. It's, you know, it's our family. The same reason why I go over there, the same reason why I go to work every day, you know, here in, in the department, it's a, uh, it, it's a family, you know, I, I, it's a second family. My, my priority is my first family at home. Um, my second priority is my second family. And that includes, you know, now my family over in Israel, as would be any other place that needed my assistance. And, and again, it's not about being Jewish. It's not about any political agenda or religious agenda. It's just that, you know, listen, we all got into this business because we want to help people. There's not one person, and I'll call BS on them, that gets into this business for a paycheck. Because if you did, you're going to have a short-lived career or a horrible career. We all got into this for a reason, and that's each of, you know, each of our truths. But I know for my truth, it's because I truly enjoy being part of something that's bigger than me and being part of something that contributes to the welfare of another human being. And that's it. And, and, and again, so I, I could be anywhere and I would be happier than than a pig and poo just giving my my assistance to somebody and, and, and offering that that help. One of our battalion chiefs said it the best. We're in the business of providing help. When people call 911, they're expecting help. And that's our job. We go and provide the help. And that's what makes us makes us feel that we're accomplishing something in our life. That's our purpose. I don't know of a better way to to end, Jason. I appreciate that. And you know, sometimes we lose this perspective, myself included, and it takes experiences like yours and what you've done to bring us back to what's really important in life. And I'm really grateful for for your willingness to share that story. Absolutely. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yes, thank you so much for your willingness to share those story and those details with us and our listeners. Thank you, Captain, and thank you, Chiefs, for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. We'll also have the information for the Emergency Volunteer Program in our show notes. We'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines. Mm -hmm.